14. Genesis 14, beginning with verse 17. After, now you always want to circle words that show time, remember? Time. After his return from the defeat of Shedolamar, Shedolamir, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom and went out to meet him, referring to, to uh, Abram, at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Now, who is Melchizedek? This is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus before his incarnation, all right? Remember, Hebrews teaches us that Melchizedek had no father, no mother. He had no beginning, no end. Well, the only one that is like that is God. So this is God the Son in his pre-incarnate sense. Who is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek? Jesus. He's the king of Salem. This is Jerusalem. This is the ancient city of Jerusalem. This is Jesus setting up monotheism, the worship of the one true God in the world. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Here is the tithe before the law. Now, it's amazing to me, all the people who want to teach against tithing today, and they say tithing was under the law, and we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, and yada, yada, yada. Um, there are principles like salvation by faith that are before the law, during the law, and after the law. People were saved by faith during the law, just like people were saved by faith today. Now, you, you, you've got to get a hold of that. I mean, God's plan of salvation has never changed. All those types and symbols were just to point people to Jesus. Now, Abram was tithing before the law. And notice, he tithed in response to the symbols of salvation, the bread and the wine, communion before the cross. So tithing is an eternal principle. It's before the law. It's during, it was incorporated into the law, but it was before the law. And Jesus taught tithing. Jesus said, you know, well, we won't get into all the tithing teaching, all right? Or we'll be here all morning. But Jesus, Abram gave him, Jesus, a tithe of everything. Who receives the tithe? The high priest, Jesus. Now, when, when you and I bring the tithe to the Lord at the altars today, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one receiving that tithe. I, I just think it's a, it's a beautiful thing here. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. This was his right under ancient law. Now, not the law of God, not God's principles, but under cultural law of that day, if you want to battle the plunder, and it was really called the law of plunder, the plunder belonged to you. And so Sodom said, give me the people, or the king of Sodom said, give me the people, but the plunder belongs to you. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread 
or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anner, Eshcol, and Mamre take their share. So, all right. He did not make this decision for everybody, but he said, as for me, all right, as for me. Now, now, sometimes you have to understand, we don't make everybody live by our principles. There are things that we feel very strongly about, and we live them, but Abram did not make everybody else, not make others, live by his principles. He said, I, I don't want these people to say that they made me rich. Not going to happen. Now, there are sometimes, brothers and sisters, you make decisions in life. And you make a decision because, you know what, in the long term, this is going to be the best thing to do. I don't ever want these people to say that they did this for me. So I'm going to do it myself. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, now after what things? Let, let's just let's just pause on this a second. After remember there's a time word. After these things, after tithing to Jesus, after refusing reward from the world, okay? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, he turned down the reward of the world. He turned down the reward of the world. And God said, your reward will be very great. He brought the tithe and worshiped God. And God said, all right, I am your shield. Now, why would Abram be afraid? He has many enemies now. See, to help Lot and kings of the valley, he had to make enemies. And this is a principle you're going to have to learn. Sometimes when you help people, you bring enemies into your life. And those people now are your enemies. God said, you don't need to be afraid, Abram. I'll be your shield. And he said, you know, you gave up everything. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. Now notice, Eliezer, not Lot. Now there's an interesting truth. By logic, Lot should be the heir. He is the closest living relative. But Abram said, no, 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 no. Lot's not going to get anything that belongs to me. Lot already took his. Lot went away. I've had to rescue him a couple of times. Now, I, no. Lot is not going to be my heir. Eliezer of Damascus is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, verse 4, and said, This man will, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. Now, th this is a tremendous truth to me. He, God, brought him, Abram, outside and said, Look toward the heaven, number the stars. If you are able to number him, 
Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, here's a tremendous truth. You're not going to get a vision for the great things that God can do for you living inside what you have made. Wow. Now, just, just get a hold of that for a minute. Sometimes you got to get out into his incredible creation. Now, you know me, I'm a city boy. I like the city. But you know what? Sometimes you just, I like to stare at the ocean. Okay, I really, really love the water. It's just a thing with me. I love the water. I love looking across the ocean. I love looking across huge fields of emptiness with trees and rice fields. I love that. Just, ah, because I have learned in life. Sitting inside my little house and looking up at my ceiling, it's really hard to get a vision for the greatness of the promises of God for my life because I'm living inside what my hands have done. And if I really want to get a vision for what God has done, I need to go out and get inside what God's hands have done. <laughs> I'm going to preach myself happy this morning. Oh, it's, it's an amazing truth here, all right? And he believed the Lord. I mean, just get outside and get into what God has done, what God created. That's where you can get the vision of the greatness. And he believed the Lord. Now, here's one of the greatest passages in the Bible. Paul quotes it repetitively. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. This is salvation by faith. Abraham was saved just like you and I are saved. When we get to heaven, it's going to surprise you, all these Old Testament saints. And they're in heaven the same way we're in heaven. They're saved by faith. Okay? So please, when you, when you read the Old Testament, don't, don't sit there and think that God is different there than he is now. Everything is about salvation by faith from Genesis to Revelation. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So, all right. He brought out for a purpose to give. Now, when, when God calls you out of a situation, he doesn't call you out of a situation to leave you with nothing. He brought you out to give. There's a purpose. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know? He said, God, help me believe. This, this is a big promise, God. Now notice, Abraham has believed in the Lord. He believed the Lord. But he's struggling here a little bit. Help me believe. How am I to know that I shall possess it? You know, how am I to believe this big promise. Now, I prayed prayers like that before in my life. Not, not prayers of unbelief, but Lord, how, how can I be sure that this is you and not just, I ate too much pizza? I ate too much balut before I went to bed last night? How can I know? Those are not bad words to pray. I believe you, Lord, but how can I know? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. 
and he brought all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. (laughs) You always find the vultures trying to steal the sacrifice. Now, let's not take this too far. But vultures try to steal the offering. You know, there's always a Judas. This is, okay, this is an early Judas, all right? Birds of prey, vultures. Abram drove them away. Sometimes you got to drive away the vultures. And have you ever noticed all of these were called unclean? Everything clean, the difference between unclean and clean animals in the Bible, the unclean are always they always are the, 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 for lack of a better term, the garbage disposals, okay? They're the, they're the ones that eat the, the, the dead things. They, 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 they can't do anything themselves. They just eat the dead things. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and dark, great darkness fell on him. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain, all right? So here's the word know again, all right? Now notice, here's that word know again, all right? Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not their own. All right? One. And they will be servants there. Two. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Three. All right, so this is the time in Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. This is the promise after the hard times. The people of Israel were slaves, and then God gave them all their back pay all at once. They shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. All right, God said, listen, not yet. Sin, not complete. God said, I'm still being patient with these people. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kesanites, Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gershonites, and the Jebusites. This is the covenant of the land. And only when King David was king did they actually possess all of this land. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian slave whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me, really? From bearing children. But now there's a promise. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah, not God. So he listened to a good idea 
not a God idea. There is a difference. He listened to a human solution, not a God solution. That's important truth. So after Abram had lived 10 years on the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt upon her mistress. Wow. So a source of contempt. What is that source of contempt? I can do what you cannot. Wow. So Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. What? I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. What? It was her idea. It was not a good idea, but it was her idea. And Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. All right, so the response, the human response, to contempt is harshness. And the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her, not live in contempt. See, even though wrong things were done, you don't have contempt in your heart toward people. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Now, even though none of this was God's plan, okay, this is not Not God's plan, but God is good. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand shall be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. All right, now this is the future of the Middle East. You wonder why there's no peace in the Middle East? This was prophesied about Ishmael from the beginning. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. El-Roi is literal. You are El-Roi. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called bel Lahai roi And it lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Now, now just back up here. The God who sees. 
Now, now this is a truth that you need to get a hold of. There are times when, and I, I don't want to say this critically, but it needs to be said. There are times when you've been part of a good idea that was not a God idea. And because of that, you've gotten yourself involved in a whole bunch of strife and a whole bunch of hurt. And, you know, you've had some bad attitudes and those bad attitudes brought even worse attitudes back against you. God says, go back and be submissive. But notice what God does. God reveals himself. Even when we screw up, and forgive me, it's our fault, there is a God who sees and a God who has mercy on us. Please, have hope today in God. Even if you've made the biggest mess and you know it's your fault, there's a God who sees and a God who has mercy. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Very famous passage. Every unbeliever knows this passage. (laughs) Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, okay, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, now let's just back up here. The Greek word here is krino. It's the same Greek word that Paul says that we are to judge those inside the church, not outside the church, but we are to judge those inside the church. It means to judge, to evaluate. Now, the whole passage that Jesus is dealing with here, this whole first section on, let's see, from about here up, this deals with how to deal with problem people. Okay, this is this, the whole passage here. Now, now, judge not lest you be not judged. This is saying, you know, don't walk around with a critical attitude. He said, and there's a reason for this. Don't, don't walk around, you know, sitting in judgment and telling everybody that you're right and they're wrong. Now, I didn't say don't use the scripture to do things, okay? But I want you to notice the whole concept here is the judgment you pronounce is used to judge you. The measure you use will be measured to you. Now, this is talking about without Bible basis. Now, the Bible says, you know, drinking beer is wrong. I will stand up and say drinking beer is wrong. Pastor, you're judging. No, I'm quoting scripture. And I'm willing to live by that same measure and willing to be judged by that same measure. But what you have that Jesus is talking about here is, you know, you have people that are just running around, just shooting their mouth off about everybody. And he said, you know what? You're going to have to understand something. When you go around putting everybody else down, he said, um, it's going to come back at you. You're going to reap what you sow. And he said, and let me tell you how you're going to reap it. He said, the judgment, the crino, the evaluation that you pronounced, that same evaluation is going to be used for you. The measure that you use, the measure, the measure that you use will be measured to you. So you, you, you better understand. I, I like what Brother Osteen used to say. Not, not Joel, but his daddy, John Osteen. Old Brother Osteen used to say, make your words sweet because one day you're going to eat them. Now, what Brother John was trying to say is what Jesus is saying here. You better be willing to live by what you say is right and wrong. Because one day people are going to take your own words and bring them back to you. Oh. So, yes, we evaluate among the body of Christ, on the basis of Scripture. Not misuse of Scripture, but Scripture. Not trying to find the most condemning verse we can find in the Bible and throw it at somebody and 
throw enough to see what will stick. But, but this is what the Bible says. Because he said, you know what? One day, it's going to come back at you. And then he said, now, let's continue talking about problems. He said, when you see a speck in your brother's eye. All right, now this is, this is real. All right. When you see a speck in your brother's eye, we'll call this a little problem. Okay. And it's real. Okay. This, this is real. This is not imaginary. This is not made up. This is not having a critical spirit. This is real. But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. This is a big problem. Now, he said, listen, how in the world can you, how in the world can you go help somebody with a little problem when, when you got this big log in your eye and you can't see very well? So it's kind of a funny illustration that Jesus uses. It's like, you know, forgive me, I'll take my keyboard here. You know, when you, when you got this whole thing in your eye, how, how can you possibly see to help somebody else? He said, now, you know, okay, th let's say there's some real small issues in other people's lives. Uh, deal with the big problems in your life first. And he said, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? He said, you hypocrite. Now, here's what a hypocrite is. Take the log out of your eye, then... You will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Get the mess out of your own life first. Get the log out of your own eye first. Okay. Get that big thing, that big sin out of your life. Then you can spiritually see clearly to help that other person improve their life. So he said, he's not saying that we shouldn't go around and, and help people live better. He didn't say that we shouldn't go around and say things are right and things are wrong. He said, you know what? You know, when, when you're living in sexual immorality and you go and criticize a guy because he didn't bring his Bible to church, well, you know what? He should have brought his Bible to church. But you know what? You shouldn't be sleeping with that number two, three, four, five, six, and 15. Wow. That's exactly Jesus's illustration. Now, he goes on to the second problem group. All right. This is, this is the second problem group. He said, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample you underfoot and turn and attack you. All right, now here, here is correction. Correction. He said, don't give dogs what is holy. It, let me read it to you from the um, New Living Translation. Let me bring it up here real quick. Here's the New Living Translation. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. <laughs> That's pretty good. Don't waste what is holy on that which is not holy. Don't give dogs what is holy. You know, there, there are people, I'm sorry, that are just, they want their sin. So, so don't sit there and bring scriptures to them thinking that all it's going to do is, well, let's continue, nor throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Have you ever noticed? When you try to correct people who are not wanting to live right, you get attacked and you become the bad guy. You know, what, what I've learned in life, especially with the world, I don't think it's my place in the world to tell anybody anything about right and wrong. I will, in God's house and I with God's people, will talk about right and wrong. But with the world, I have one simple message. 
the gospel. I, I don't go to the world and preach, don't drink. I don't go to the world and preach, don't commit adultery. I don't go to the world and fight with pornography and fight with abortion. I, I don't go to the world with that message. I go to the world with one message, the gospel. Now, among the church, we'll talk about things that are right and wrong. Because I, I've watched so many preachers through my life, if they just read this verse and understood it, you know, they're going to trample. They're going to trample the beautiful truths, the pearls, underfoot, and they're going to attack you. So learn, you know, teaching about holiness and righteousness, that takes place among the people of God. In the world, we teach the gospel. Ask. Now we begin to talk about something different. Now we begin to talk about prayer. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now the key words there are will, will, and will, not might. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is a promise. This is a promise of God. Now, if there was ever a motivation for prayer, this is it. Now, ask, that's a request. Seek, that's relationship. We seek God. Knock, that's opportunities. And you notice you have to stand at a door and knock. You, you can't knock halfway up the street. So, every day when I ask, it will be given to me. Every morning when I bow my heart and seek, I will find him. And whenever I stand in front of an opportunity and knock, it will be open to me. That's his promise. And which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Oh, beloved, you just need to... Oh, I, I just don't understand this... This mean hellfire and brimstone stuff. Forgive me. Your Father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him. So ask him. What, what is it that you need? Now, you know, some people take this and stretch a truth like a rubber band until it becomes an untruth. Oh, God, I want to live in Forbes Park. Oh, God, I want a 5,000 square meter lot in Forbes Park. And oh, God, I want a four-story house inside Forbes Park on my 5,000 square meter lot. And oh, God, I want a Bentley SUV. And oh, God, I want a Mercedes SUV. And oh, God, I want a Lamborghini. And oh, God, I want a Ferrari. And you know what? You don't even have a bicycle right now, and you don't have a job. Now, now that's people who take these verses and stretch them like a rubber band until a truth becomes an untruth. Your father will give good things to you. But remember the rule of, of progressiveness and faithfulness in prosperity. God gives you a little. And when you're faithful with a little, God gives you more. And when you're faithful with that, God gives you more. And when you're faithful with that, God gives you more. 
I'm not saying that one day, if it's really in your heart to live in Forbes Park, you can't live there. Please, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it might take you 25, 30, or 40 years to get there. Okay? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. <laughs> so, he said, now listen, this is what God is like. He said, so you be like this. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Wow. This is Jesus's one line summation. Oh, it's wonderful to get this pen to work. This is Jesus's one line summation of the law and prophets. That's his one-liner, all right? So whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them, all right? This is also the law of sowing and reaping. You go be nice to people, people be nice to you. You smile at people, people smile back at you. You are kind to people, people are kind back to you. You are generous with people, people are generous back with you. You're mean, nasty, and ugly, and you know what? <laughs> it's going to be a long life for you, all right? You don't want mean, nasty, and ugly coming back at you. What you wish others to do to you, do also to them. You do it first. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. So key words there. The gate that leads to destruction is wide. It's easy. And there are many. Those are keys. He said, but the narrow gate has different keys. The way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I remember my grandfather teaching this verse one time in a Sunday school class. In the old days, the pastor would preach the adult Sunday school class, and then he'd preach the morning service, and then he'd preach the evening service, all right? Uh, Grandpa in his Bible school class was teaching this verse, and I remember he had tears coming down his face when he said it. Grandpa had such a tender heart. He was such a good man. He pastored all of his life. Even in his retirement, he took a little country church and built it up. But he said, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. He said, I was praying. He said, I asked God, does that ever get any easier? And he said, God said, no, it never gets any easier. The way that leads to life is hard. And he said, you know what? There are those who find it are few. Now, you may not like that, but these are Jesus' words. Now he does a big beware. Now, whenever, I'll make a little word off here to the side. Beware. One of the things you need to do is keep a little journal. Like with keywords like beware or watch out for. Make a list of all the things that God says beware or watch out for. Beware of false prophets. They come to you. Notice they, <laughs> they come to you. Notice the characteristics of false prophets. Whoops. Notice the characteristics of false prophets. 
they come to you. You don't go to them. They come to you. They approach. They take the initiative. Number two, they look like sheep. Now, notice, I didn't say they look like shepherds. They're in sheep's clothing, not shepherd's clothing. I teach pastors the most dangerous false prophets in the church never step onto a pulpit, never step up onto the platform. They come in sheep's clothing. We're just believers. He said, but on the inside, they're ravenous wolves. See, this is why you need to look at people's insides, not just their outsides. You say, well, pastor, how can you know their insides? You listen to their words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When when they are sitting around doing their, their normal talking with people, you listen to them. Are they tearing everybody apart, ravenous wolves? Are they tearing everybody apart? Are they destroying people's lives with their words and their private conversations? Do their words tear people apart? These are false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruit. And notice it's fruits, plural. You will recognize them by their fruits. Okay? See, you, you can't necessarily see the insides. You can listen to words and not listen to prepared speeches. Listen to their words. And you can look at their fruits plural, and I emphasize that. You don't just look at one fruit. You look at multiplicity of fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Okay. No. So this is, this is a wrong tree from the start. Now we talk about healthy tree bears good fruit and a diseased tree bears bad fruit. Now this is a tree that went bad. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree now that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is their future. Now, I want you to notice here. There are trees, there are false prophets that started out as a good prophet. They started out as a real man or a real woman of God. And they bore good fruit. But now today, they have become diseased. And notice that word diseased. It'll be red. They have become diseased. Now the translation says corrupted. There's something that has eaten away on their insides, and now it's not good on the inside. Now on the outside, they still look right. Okay, so the outside is good, but it's not a healthy tree. It's like you can look at a beautiful mango tree, and from a distance, it looks very beautiful. But when you get up, the mangoes are weird and black, and obviously the tree is diseased. So you don't eat the fruit of it. But the tree looks good. Now, you can't just look at the outside. You have to look at the insides and what the inside produces. So notice, insides... You look at the insides and what the insides produce. Thus you shall recognize them by their fruits. And again, plural, on the fruits. 
He didn't say you're going to recognize them by what they look like. He said, because you know what? Some of them will look pretty good. Some of them are dressed like sheep. Okay, some of them. He said, you can recognize a thorn bush and you can recognize some of these trees that don't produce fruit. Okay. He said, I got, I'll grant you that. But he said, some of these, the tree looks pretty good. But inside, something has happened to them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there's a lot of people who claim a relationship. But doing the will of God shows the relationship. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. Have you ever known somebody who just really turned against you and went bad? And you sat there and you looked at them and thought, I never obviously knew you. I, I thought I knew you, but I obviously never knew you. It was all a front the whole time. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them, hears and does, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Not because of how well it was built, but because of the foundation. Okay? Not quality of construction but because of its foundation. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Wow. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, brothers and sisters, you hear me quote this verse a lot. It's not enough to know what the Bible says. We have to live it. Now, when you live it, then in the midst of COVID-19, your business stays strong. When the storm comes, not if, when, okay? Je Jesus was very clear here. When the storm comes, not if, when it comes. Some of you, you built your businesses, you built your careers, you built your families on the rock of the word. And it's not that you've done such a great job building your career, but you built it on the word. The construction is not as relevant as the foundation. You, you can have a poorly made house with a good foundation and you're in good shape. You can have a beautifully built house on a bad foundation and it's going to come crashing down. The foundation is the key. Now, when you know the word of God and you live the word of God, that's a good foundation. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, the crowd was astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Authority here means the right to. Now, the scribes, these were self-called. These were self-called people. Jesus had the right to teach. This was the first true man of God, along with he and his forerunner, John the Baptist that the people of Israel had heard for 400 years. No wonder it so startled them. Now, let's back up 
and close out today with Proverbs. Proverbs for a little bit of wisdom today. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. And got it nice and big for you. There you go. For the Lord gives wisdom. I like that. Okay. God gives wisdom. So let's ask. James is clear. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God gives wisdom. Now, wisdom is the application of knowledge. Okay. Knowledge is simply facts. God will show you how to apply what you know. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He, God, stores up sound wisdom for the upright. <laughs> I like that. Okay, for people who live right, God stores up God stores it up. He he just said, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass that on to them. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep all of this, and then all of a sudden he does a download to us. All right. H have you ever the best way I know to illustrate it is this way? Have you ever in this COVID-19 you saw something and you thought oh, Lola would like that or Lola would like that, but you know they're in the province and there's no way to get it to them. But you bought it anyway. And you started this little box in your house. You started this little drawer in your house of things that you bought for Lolo and Lolo when you can see them again. You're storing up something for them, Diva. In the same way, God stores up things. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. You and I just had to come and ask for it. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. This simply means transparency. What you see is what you get. So God said, listen, you, you think that you're naked because you're, you're transparent. God said, I am a shield for the person who's transparent. As Christians, we shouldn't try to put on a Christian act. People should see us as we are, good, bad, and ugly. Now, if you will walk in integrity, just being transparent, this is, this is who you are. God says, I'm a shield for you. He, he's not a shield for the phony and the flatterer. He's a shield for the upright who walk in integrity. Guarding the path of justice. Wow. He said, people aren't going to be able to use things against you. And watching over all the way of his saints. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? He's watching over the way. Every place you go today, God is watching over you. All right. We'll see you tonight evening service. I'm going to get back into how do we reach out to those whose hearts have gone